This morning, I have the privilege of introducing a three-part series titled Reset, an opportunity to invite Jesus to reset our story in order to set us up to live the life which God has in mind for us. The way we tell our story is important as it has a bearing on the way uh, the way that we step into the next chapter of our story and write the rest of our story. Have you ever experienced something or somebody retelling a story of something you experienced, but their recollection of events simply does not add up with yours? You're left feeling possibly a little bit embarrassed for them um, or perhaps compelled to want to correct the story. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I recently got married and... um, (laughs) Sorry, I, I, could, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. If you're just visiting us, I'm sorry. Um, now, my beautiful wife, Kelly Jo Collier, who is here supporting me today, as always, was obviously present with me that day when we got married. And it was beautiful. The most wonderful day of my life. From family and friends coming down from around the country and across the whole globe, and family dinners, the breakfast with my extended family and my sisters and brother that, that morning, and then my groomsmen taking me off early and getting ready, and then the flower girls walking down the aisle and the bridesmaids, and then Kelly Joe, and the tears were flowing. Um, the worship was beautiful. Vince said some beautiful words in the ceremony. We had Pastor George and some friends lay uh, their hands on us and pray over us. We, we recited our vows. We were pronounced husband and wife, and we kissed. And we shared communion together and we took loads of photos and we ate well and we cried through the speeches and we danced the nights away. It was perfect. But for a while during the ceremony, there was one thing I could not shake, which threatened to steal the joy of the day. During the ceremony, I could not stop sweating. It was unbelievable. It is unbearably uncomfortable. I'm sorry if talk about sweat grosses you out, but I was fidgeting because it felt like my suit was wearing me rather than the other way around. And um, the aircons in the chapel were on, but they literally made no difference at all. It was, I was pouring with sweat. You know, I, I, I think during the ceremony, I probably prayed about as much to stop sweating as I did for our marriage. And I was worried that I was going to land up like a cartoon character in a pool of water of my own sweat. And I I don't even think I was nervous. I was excited. Now, I love a good sweat when I'm out running. It grosses Kelly Joe out, but it makes me feel like I've worked hard and earned my dinner. But during my wedding ceremony, no, no, thank you. I just wanted to be normal and just wear my suit and be okay. And the first thing, um, oh, actually, uh, Kelly Joe, who is a medical doctor, at one stage just turned to me and said, are you going to be okay? She thought I was going to pass out. I was sweating and fidgeting. And the first thing I said to her after the ceremony was not, thank you, I love you, you're my wife, I'm so happy, I'm so grateful. It was, I can't believe I'm sweating so much. <laughs> you know, and um, it was a self-conscious check. Can everybody see how much I'm sweating? Like, surely my suit has changed color. It is, it is, it is unbearable. Um, thankfully, she told me that it was okay and not actually as notable as it was to me. 
But she also told me to snap out of it and to be aware of what a beautiful moment just happened that we literally just got married and I'm busy complaining about sweating. You see, we had experienced the same event, but we told two very different stories of the same event. Thankfully, I did snap out of it. I managed to take stock of the beauty of the moment and relive with gratitude the words spoken by Vince, the the taking of my family, my wife, the, um, the singing of the songs together, the vows promised together. And the way I tell the story now is with immense gratitude and thanksgiving and joy, rather than a miserable complaint about the amount I was sweating. But Joshua and Caleb had a similar experience to Kelly Joe of somebody retelling a story of something they had experienced, but recalling it very differently to the way that they had experienced it. After being sent into the promised land by Moses, along with 10 other spies, the report comes back to Moses that the, the, the land is indeed good, a land flowing with milk and honey and full of fruitfulness. But the other spies, the people who went with Joshua and Caleb, they say the people who live there are powerful and the cities are large and fortified and they are giants. And we're like grasshoppers to them. We should not go there. We're going to get killed. And Caleb interjects and he silences the report. He's like, whoa, guys, you've got this all wrong. We should definitely go into the land. And the other spies responded again. And they're like, no, not a chance. We're not going. And they got the people around them. And the people were like, no, why did God even rescue us from slavery in Egypt? If we go into the inheritance that he promised us, we're going to get destroyed. They haven't even gone there yet, but they were going to get destroyed. And they're grumbling about being here. And they're like, it's actually better for us to go back to Egypt and slavery than it is to go into the inheritance that God has promised for us. And to this, Joshua and Caleb, they tore their clothes. They're like, no, you've got this all wrong. We should definitely go up into the inheritance which God has set for us. It's amazing how we can experience the same set of circumstances, but come back with two vastly different reports and stories of the situation. And the way we tell those stories influence the way we walk into the rest of the story and the way we walk into our inheritance. Whether it's my wife and I telling different stories about our wedding ceremony or Joshua and Caleb telling a different story to the spies about the promised land, I think we often find ourselves describing the stories of our lives um, in the way that I risked describing my wedding ceremony and the way in which the 10 spies described the promised land, one filled with grumbling and moaning, um, with fear of failure, and in a way that leaves us defeated in our hearts and in our minds before we've even set foot in the inheritance which God has in store for us. I think the way Joshua and Caleb felt when they tore their clothes because of the poor perspective of the other 10 spies is perhaps how God feels sometimes when he hears us tell the stories of our lives with a poor perspective. Joshua and Caleb had great confidence that the God who rescued them out of slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched God would be as faithful to them as they stepped into their inheritance, which he promised for them. I now have immense gratitude for the way that the Lord blessed us in our wedding ceremony. And it gives me confidence to walk into our married life with confidence in his love and his favor and his blessing upon us. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And he invites us 
to allow him to tell our story and in order to give us confidence to step into the inheritance which he has in store for us. Joshua and Caleb, because they could give a good account of what they had experienced, a good account of their story, past, present, and future. Because of this, they set themselves up to to confidently and triumphantly lead the people of Israel into the inheritance which God had in store for them. Those who could not accurately retell their story, who forgot very quickly how, how, how far God had brought them and what He had done for them throughout their lives and were so overwhelmed by the size of their giants rather than measuring the size of the God with them, they spent the rest of their lives wandering aimlessly through a wilderness, free from slavery, but imprisoned from the inheritance that God had installed for them because of their own perspective. We need to determine, determine sorry, who we are allowing to author our story and how we are telling the story of our lives. Like the 10 spies, is there some form of insecurity uh, that we're allowing to write our story? Is it our own internal critic, uh, insecure and afraid of what others may think? Is it someone who once told us that we're not good enough and we're not going to amount to something? Or like Joshua and Caleb, are we allowing God to define our identity and define our story? Does the author of life, the one who sets out our story before us and has the power to reset our story, does he have permission to be the one telling the story of our lives or better yet, telling his story through our lives? How we tell our story what parts we include and exclude, what parts we highlight or hide, and who we allow to author it is vitally important because it determines how we write the rest of the story of our lives. If in our story we're the victim of chance and circumstance or of the will and decisions of somebody else or some other person, then the next chapter that is written is largely going to go the same way as the chapters we are retelling or recalling. The 10 spies got what they wished for. They never entered the inheritance for which God had in store for them. The story that they were telling became a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if God is the author and the lens through which the story is told is that of the cross and the empty grave, then the next chapter will be adventurously expectant, written by God and lived with life and life in all its fullness. Joshua and Caleb allowed God to be the author of their story. They recalled their story with boldness and confidence, and they lived out life and life in all its fullness in the inheritance which God had in store for them. We do, however, have moments or times in our lives, and perhaps you're currently in one, when no matter how hard you try to see a positive angle on your story, you just can't find one. In the book of Ruth, we meet a lady named Naomi, Naomi, her husband and her two sons left Bethlehem and went down to a foreign and unfamiliar land because of a famine in their country. And sadly, in the 10 years that followed, Naomi lost her husband and her two sons. And so she decided she would leave uh, the country that she had gone down to and head back home because the famine was over. And famously, one of her widowed daughter, daughter-in-laws, Ruth, insists on going with Naomi back home. Upon their return to Bethlehem, the people come out and they're excited to meet them. And they exclaim, can this be Naomi? But Naomi responded by telling them not to call her Naomi, which means pleasant, 
but to call her Mara, which means bitter, because she said that the Lord had made her life very bitter. She said that she went away full, but she had come back empty. And perhaps like Naomi, you have experienced some form of loss or trauma that has left you feeling bitter, that your life was once full and now it feels empty. And God's heart breaks uh, for our pain. He is moved with compassion and love and justice. And later on, we read that Naomi, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, uh, who is honored for how faithful she remained to Naomi, she marries and gives birth to a son. And the woman who Naomi told to call her Mara, meaning bitter, say to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a redeemer. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is worth more to you than seven sons has given him birth. And the woman said, Naomi has a son. Naomi's story shows us how God can take our bitter waters and make them sweet again. Not only that, uh, not only did Naomi have a daughter-in-law better than seven sons, but she gained another son, a future, a hope, an inheritance, an internal inheritance, because that son formed the family line of King David and also of Jesus Christ. Naomi allowed God to reset her story and author a new story. And this allowed her to, uh, this allowed the following chapters of her life to be filled with newness of life and an eternal inheritance. So how can we like Naomi and Joshua and Caleb before her allow God to author our story and perhaps even reset our story to author a new story? Romans 8, this is from the message translation says, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid grave tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next dad? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who, who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. Amen. Yeah, that scripture's worth a clap. This scripture tells us that through Jesus, we have newness of life. Jesus offers to reset our story through the cross and the empty grave. And he invites us to accept a change in our identity from sinner to son, from victim to victor, from not good enough to more than a conqueror. Our past stories of bitterness are buried with Christ and the new stories of sweetness of life are brought to life through His resurrection and our participation in it. And this life, this new life in God, is a life filled with adventurous expectation, things to do and places to go, an unbelievable inheritance. It's a life rooted in a reset of our story, in identifying ourselves now as children of God. Like Joshua and Caleb, God resets our story from captives in slavery to conquerors in their inheritance that God has set before us. Like Naomi, God resets our story from bitterness and brokenness to blessing and beauty. So I'd like to give us four things to consider this morning as we allow God to reset our story and change our identity and the trajectory of our lives. Firstly, we need to invite God 
to open our eyes. The 10 spies who went with Joshua and Caleb were so fixated on the size of the giants against them that they were blind to the size of the God with them. Joshua and Caleb, however, had opened their eyes to see that the opportunities that, that lay before them far outweighed the obstacles that they needed to overcome. The spies had gone into their promised inheritance, telling their story from a perspective of scarcity, of lack, of defeat, blind to the way that God had faithfully provided for them throughout their lives. Joshua and Caleb's eyes had opened to see past their seeming lack in the wilderness and to, to have seen the mighty hand of the Lord delivering them out of Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness and entering their promised inheritance. When I was so consumed by the amount I was sweating in my wedding ceremony, I was blind to see the beauty of the blessing right in front of me. It took my eyes to be open to see that the prayers I had prayed my whole life were being fulfilled. And I was almost too preoccupied with my problems to see the promises of God in my life. There's a story in 2 Kings. It reads, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out, uh, went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We are not surrounded. Are you clapping for that scripture? Yeah, amen. The word of God is alive and at work. We're not surrounded by so great an army of opposition that we need to be overwhelmed, defeated, and unable to move forward with our lives. God is for you, not against you. We sang it earlier. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His plans for us are far greater than our own. Plans to give us a future and a home. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. May we open our eyes to see that God is for us. Secondly, we need to invite Jesus to reset our story. Naomi came back to Bethlehem believing that God had reset her story the wrong way, from sweet to bitter, from full to empty, from blessed to afflicted, from pleasant Naomi to bitter Mara. However, even though it seemed like her story was one of misfortune, she allowed God to reset her story, bringing sweetness where there was bitterness, bringing blessing, a future and a hope. Naomi's story is not the first time we read of a name being changed to Mara, meaning bitter. In Exodus 15, we read that Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. The same remedy Moses used for the bitter waters of Mara 
we can use for the bitter waters of our hearts. There is a certain piece of wood, a tree at Calvary, that tree on which the Savior hung the cross. You take that tree and like Moses, you put it into the bitter waters of our hearts. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring, will take bitter things and make them sweet again. Jesus in our heart is our sweet purification. I mentioned earlier that I recently got married. Um, <laughs> and I don't think you, everybody knows. Um, <laughs> should be left-handed now so that I can show off my ring. <laughs> but there was a time in my life before Kelly Joe when I risked my heart getting bitter. As I had, uh, I was officiating weddings for friends and members of our congregation, all the while awaiting the answer to prayers in my own life. We have seen now that it is the cross that makes our heart sweet. I think it is then worth sharing that it was our communion drive-throughs we had during lockdown, where we remember Christ's body broken and blood shed on that tree, where Kelly Joe and I began conversations that led to a date, that led to a dinner, that led to our destiny. <laughs> the bitter waters of my heart were turned sweet at the remembrance of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that he came to proclaim good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and sight for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and comfort for all who mourn and provide for those who grieve a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus came to reset our story, to turn our lives from bitter to sweet, to take the weight of our guilt and our shame, our brokenness and our pain upon himself so that he might reset our story. And not only does Jesus cover for our past, but like Naomi, he gives us a future and a hope. Jesus took the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of the stories that we try to write ourselves upon himself in order that he might write a new story for us. He said on the cross, it is finished. The old is gone. The cross has paid the price in full. The curse of death has been broken. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. May we reset our story. Thirdly, we need to review our crew. Who you surround yourself with matters. It is interesting that the people who surrounded themselves with the 10 spies who told the negative report never entered the inheritance which God had in store for them. The story you tell of your life and the story that is to be written is influenced by those around us. Proverbs says, surround yourself with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. And Paul tells us that uh, we ought not to be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We ought to review our crew. Joshua and Caleb were support to each other. And so they led Israel into God's promised inheritance. David had Jonathan who strengthened him in the Lord. Naomi had the woman around her to tell her, hang on, Naomi, you are no longer bitter. God has turned your bitterness into sweet. You are blessed. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. 
With it being Mother's Day, it'd be remiss of me not to include a story of my own dearest mother. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Um, it's a special day for you, seeing your second grandchild dedicated. I love you. I wrote in my notes here, try not to cry. <clears throat> I did it. <laughs> the people you surround yourself will influence your, uh, your character. My mom is incredibly loving and generous, and I am eternally grateful for her. She will give everything of herself for others, but she will not let you remain stuck in your brokenness. She'll be the first there to help and the last to leave, but she won't leave until you have reset your story. You'll get empathy from my mom, but not a heck of a lot of sympathy, and I'm grateful for that. Having my mom surround me throughout my life has meant that I haven't had the opportunity to feel sorry for myself very long, to be overwhelmed like, this, like Elisha's servant or to tell a negative report like the 10 spies or to be bitter like Naomi. My mom will pull me right very quickly and remind me of all that I have to be grateful for and the goodness of God in my life. She'll most certainly live out the scripture of spurring one another on toward loving, love and good deeds and encouraging one another. In order to ensure we are telling ourselves the correct story of our lives, who we surround ourselves with matters for the influence, the way that we tell our story. And then once you have surrounded yourself with good people, be a good friend to others and encourage them and spur them on toward love and good deeds and the future that God has in store for them. And finally, see I'm in the red now, I'm taking off to Pastor George. We need to behold, your, behold our blessing. It took an opening of my eyes, a resetting of the story I was telling about my wedding ceremony and someone who I had surrounded myself with to change my perspective before I could behold the blessing of my wedding day. Sometimes it takes the opening of our eyes, the resetting of the story we tell and some people around us to encourage us so that we can behold the blessing of God in our lives. Acts 2 says, repent, reset your story, and be baptized, open your eyes. Those little brackets are my own writing. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Behold your blessing. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The receiving of the Holy Spirit is the ultimate blessing in life. And this is the very presence of God, the same Spirit which hovered over the deep and brought order out of chaos in the beginning of creation. The same presence that led the Israelites through the wilderness. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave is the same Spirit of God that dwells within us and confirms that indeed we are the children of God. The blessing of God's presence by His very Spirit within us is confirmation of a change in identity, a change in story, to be children of God with an unbelievable inheritance awaiting us. The way we tell our story is important because it has a bearing on how we step into the rest of the story that, is to, that God has in store for us. Today, we have the opportunity to open our eyes to see that God is for us and not against us. To invite Jesus to reset our story by turning the bitter waters of our heart into sweetness to bring beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, and praise where there was once despair. When we do that, we can behold the blessing of God at work in our lives through His Spirit and boldly step into the unbelievable inheritance which God has prepared for us 
in advance. If you're able to, will you please close with me? Oh, stand with me, sorry, as we close and pray. Um, Some people will be going out. We've got coffee and food stalls available, games outside. The South African National Blood Service is here. If you would like to donate blood for the incredible cause, Jumping Castle and all sorts happening. Starting points if you'd like to make church home and the welcome lounge if you'd like to say hello. Also some personal prayer available up front and communion after the service. But um, thank you, Nesta. Shall we close in prayer? Father, we are so grateful that you are for us and not against us. We thank you that as we look back on the stories of our lives, we can see your faithful hand evident throughout our lives. Jesus, we thank you that where we are hurting or where we have gone astray, you invite us to call on your name to reset our story, to turn our bitter waters into sweet. For we have confidence that anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to open our eyes, to see the blessing at work in our life, to change, to reset our story so that we can boldly declare that we are children of God. We thank you that we can surround ourselves with other children of God who encourage us and spur us on toward love and good deeds. And we thank you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit, a seal that confirms that we are indeed the children of God. And so we thank you for this in Jesus' wonderful, perfect and precious name. Amen.